0: Good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are doing great and having a great Sunday. Um, I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and we are so thankful that you're here uh, with us for worship this morning. Uh, what a great week we have just had. Anybody want to attest to that? Um, yeah. Um, our go week this year was the best one we have ever had this year, and um, just play. <laughs> it's, it's the best one we've ever had. Uh, this is our second year uh, that we have focused in um, Mission Week uh, that we had just come out of, and it was just an incredible week. I told somebody last night that I feel like this was kind of like our version of a revival week um, in some kind of ways. Um, it was just awesome, and I can't thank uh, all of you enough for being a part of this week. I just pray that God planted seeds in you that will continue to bear fruit in your life for his name uh, around our world. and can't thank enough all of those who helped this week, all of those who volunteered, and um, you know who you are, people who served and did coffee and who were here late last night transitioning this building back, Uh, we're just so grateful for you, I want to thank Betsy as well, somewhere she's here, and and all of uh, the mission team and our staff team, Uh, it was an incredible, incredible week, so, but now, are you guys ready for this? We're getting back into John, anybody excited? (laughs) I am, yeah, a few of you, good. Um, <laughs> I, I have like been waiting for this since November. Um, and uh, if you were not here with us, uh, we started, typically we go through books of the Bible here at ICC, and we started journeying through the Gospel of John uh, last fall in September. And intentionally, we chose to kind of stop uh, in the middle, and we spent time together with some special seasons with our Christmas season and with our kind of new year kickoff season. But now I am so thankful and excited. I'm really pumped, um, to get back into John. And, uh, yeah, I have been really looking forward to this. Um, I was telling Mitchell last night, he said, did you, are you ready for tomorrow? And I was like, well, Actually, I planned the whole sermon series last July. <laughs> and so, like, I've been waiting for this for months, it feels. And I'm just so, so thankful and excited. Uh, John, God, John is an apostle of Jesus who uh, very lovingly uh, describes himself as the apostle who Jesus loves. Over and over and over. Uh, John um, cannot get over the fact that Jesus knows him, and Jesus loves him. And what a beautiful thing in life when we come to that place of reality, when we recognize that God knows us through and through and still loves us completely and unconditionally. What a wonderful place to be in, in life. And John just cannot get over this. John spent all of his days with Jesus. I mean, he was up close and personal. He was right there with him all the time as he ate and drank and laughed and slept and as he ministered and he taught the crowds as he felled the multitudes miraculously. And yes, even as he Gave his life unto death, death for the forgiveness of our sins. And as he rose again, John was right there. John knows Jesus, and Jesus knows John. And there's this really sweet love relationship there. But but God had John write this book for us. He he writes, we call the series Word Became Flesh, uh, because In John chapter one, John writes, the word became flesh. He's talking about God himself, the word which is from the beginning, which is God himself. The word, God became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of of grace and, and truth. This book is all about God in flesh, Jesus Christ our Savior. And, and John writes with a clear purpose. He tells us in chapter 20, and if I'm just trying to whet your appetite if you have been away for a while, which a lot of us have, and if you're new, we're just trying to give you some foundation before we start this morning. Um, but in John chapter 20, hopefully many of you have memorized this, but, but John, the writer of, of the gospel, tells us why he's writing. We... As we study the Bible, uh, one of the things that I have wanted to make sure that you understand is that you're to depend not on me, but to depend on God and his word. And when we want to know what the Bible says, we go to the Bible and ask the Bible what it says. We don't put what we have into the Bible, we go to the Bible and, and try to get out what is actually there. And John tells us clearly what his purpose is. He says, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are are not written in this book. In other words, there's so much I could have written about Jesus, But, but these things I have written, he says, so that what? You may believe, believe what? That Jesus is the Christ. I was riding down the car this week with Caroline and we were singing a Steve Green CD, which I actually sang in the, in the 80s um, when I was little, and we still sing those same songs. It teaches her scripture and everything, and one of the songs is about Jesus Christ, and she says, Dad, what is Christ? And I was like, that is the sweetest question ever. <laughs> and I just said, well, Christ means Messiah, and just, that, I was like, <laughs> Dad, fail, right? <laughs> Terrible pastor-dad moment. Messiah, sweetie, you're three, don't you get that? Um, No. But it led into this sweet little conversation of us talking about how we are all broken and the only way for us to be restored in relationship with God would be for God to do something for us. And he had promised, I made it a lot simpler for her, but um, (laughs) y'all are like, it still didn't work for her. but, um, but, But the Messiah is the one that the world was waiting on. The Savior, the one who would come to put people right with God again, who would restore the world to be as God originally intended it to be. This is the Christ, the title for that one who was to come. Christ is not Jesus' last name or middle name or substitute name, it's a title. And I used Queen Elsa with Caroline to describe this. I was like, You know how Elsa, they give her a title, she's the Queen? I was like, Well, with Jesus, they give him a title, he's the Christ. I don't know if that equated. She probably thinks Jesus is in Elsa's palace right now. I don't know. But, but I hope that it equated. But it's a title. It means the Messiah. And, and John says, I want you to believe in Jesus. And not just in who you want Jesus to be, but I want you to believe in who Jesus actually is. I want you to believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the appointed one to to bring us back to God, the hope for us to have restoration in our relationship with God, restoration to come to the world. He is the Christ. And as you believe in him, believing that he's a son of God, the word became flesh, that by believing in him, you may have what? Life in his name. He equates life that God wants us to experience with the belief that God wants us to have in Jesus, who is the Christ. John, John's gospel, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's purposeful, and it is so, so, so important for us to continue to lean in and just satisfy our souls and get to know God more from his word. So, anybody excited to get back into John? Okay, a few more, so I guess I'll go ahead and continue. Um, Let me pray this morning, and then we're going to open the Word and continue our journey together. By the way, if you have um, books, Word Became Flesh Books, we have those. um, And I would really encourage you to take notes this morning and to be a part of small group because, man, it's just so good when you get a community and can take the Word and really figure out what this means for us personally. But let me pray as we journey together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time of worship. God, this this gathering is is not for us, but it is for you. God, you are our audience. And Lord, you're looking at us. You're you're yearning for our hearts, our lives to be serenity. Oh God, we need you so much. And we thank you that you, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that we might know your glory I might know you full of grace and truth. God, we ask for your presence among us today. We know that you're with us when two or three are gathered in your name. There I am in your midst. We know that you're with us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence and your Holy Spirit's power. We thank you for your living word, and we ask that this morning we would be receptive to you and what you would speak to us today. May we Treasure Jesus more. May we believe you more. May we have more life as we believe in your name, God. We pray for supernatural work today. I know there's so many needs in this room, God, and today you care about each one. And so just just minister to us, Father. Lead us to worship in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to get them open to the Gospel of John. Today we are going to be. Continuing where we left off, and we're going to be in chapter 11, John chapter 11. And yes, I intentionally planned the series to start today so that we could journey through the second half of John and end on Easter Sunday. And the second half of the book of John is all about Jesus beginning to turn his direction toward Jerusalem, toward that Passion Week, and what he's doing for us in his life, yes, and then his death for the forgiveness of our sins, and yes, his resurrection. And so we're going to be in this beautiful season together as we lead up toward Easter uh, in this very intentional place in the Gospel of John. John chapter 11 is where we're going to be today, and I'll go ahead and give you the main point. It's on the screen. You can write it down, and we'll read the chapter, we'll come back to it, and I don't want you to depend on me, but on God's word to understand this. Jesus is our resurrection and life, who gives life now and forever to all who place their trust in him. Hope you're writing that down or putting on your phone. Jesus is our resurrection and life, who gives life now and forever to all who place their trust in him. The title of the message and our theme this morning, the focus of this chapter in chapter 11 is Jesus is our life. And I pray that you grow more in understanding this than you ever have before. John chapter 11, I read from the English Standard Version. I'll read the whole chapter through and we'll go back and unpack it to see what God says. A little bit of context. Chapter 10, at the very end, the crowds in Jerusalem have picked up stones to kill Jesus. They try to arrest him. He escaped. He travels east. He crosses the Jordan. And we come here to chapter 11 and this word from Martha and Mary. Starting in verse one. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now Jesus loved Martha, and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered are there not 12 hours in the day if anyone walks in the day he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world but if anyone walks in the night he stumbles because the light is not in him after saying these things he said to them our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him the disciples said to him Lord, if if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they just thought that he meant he was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that, that, we may be, that we may die with him. Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise so quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but he went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, they should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is God's word, John chapter 11. I'm going to go back to our main point. Jesus is our resurrection in life, who gives life now and forever to all who place their trust in him. This morning, I want to journey through this passage, and I want to highlight five ways that I believe that we see that Jesus is our life. So if you're tracking with me, we're going to make a note of five things, Okay. I've got a short phrase that I did my best to try to summarize things. Some of us like to remember things shortly, but then I've got longer truths that are not like alliterated at all. They're not very pretty. They're kind of awkward and bumbly sometimes, but they're true. Y'all appreciate that at least, right? So um, (laughs) we're gonna walk through these things and I just pray this morning that we could all, myself included, grow to love and to know and to worship Jesus as our life even more than we do today. The first truth that I want to present this morning is this, that Jesus is sovereign life. He is our sovereign life. The main true statement that I would like for you to write as you uh, write sovereign life down is this, that Jesus does not always work in the way that we expect. Let me say that again. Jesus does not always work in the way that we expect. But, let me finish the statement. In love, he purposes in all things in our lives to give us more of himself. I could have said to show us more of himself or to enrapture us more with his glory. But I've said here, to give us more of himself and to grow our faith in him. Jesus is our sovereign life. Jesus does not always work in the way that we expect. But in love, he purposes in all things in our lives to give us more of himself and to grow our faith in him. I think it's fascinating as we get back into the passage, and I'll show you where this comes from. It's fascinating to me that Jesus gets news of Lazarus. And over and over and over, John makes sure that we know that Jesus has a special relationship with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Y'all have heard of Martha and Mary before, right? They're, they're, they're very present throughout the Gospels. They, they seem to be uh, very close with Jesus. They follow him very closely. They're very integrated into his ministry and his work on earth. And John, here in the Gospel, lest we think that this is some cruel thing that Jesus is doing, goes out of his way to mention how much that Jesus loves them. Verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The disciples say, the one who, he, who you love, I mean, Martha and Mary say that in verse three, the one who you love is ill. Over and over, we, we have these instances where John is helping us to know that as he tells this story, he's telling a story about Jesus and some of his closest friends lest we make any other assumptions about what Jesus is doing. Everything that he's doing, he's doing in love. These friends are close with Jesus. But how peculiar is it? Does anybody else find it peculiar? That he gets news of Lazarus' illness. Jesus, being sovereign, knows what's gonna happen with Lazarus he's on his way to death and verse six look at it this is odd so when he heard that Lazarus was ill he rushed to the scene no he immediately sovereignly orchestrated that a doctor a physician could come in I mean and and help Lazarus no he didn't say that when he heard that Lazarus was ill what did he do He waited, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Anybody feel a little perplexed by this? Here Jesus says, who could do something about it, he could have left immediately, he loves them very much, his heart goes out to them, and yet in his sovereignty, He makes a decision based on the sovereign will and purpose of God. He's waiting for God's timing in this. He waits two days longer where he was and then decides to leave. So that by the time he gets there, not only is Lazarus dead, but he's really, really dead. Like he's dead for four days dead. And you got to ask, what? What is this about? Teach me your ways, Jesus. But Jesus doesn't leave us to ask questions without answers. And he says here in verse 4, what is it about? He said, this illness does not lead to death. This illness does not lead to death. He's not saying that Lazarus is not going to die. Lazarus is going to die. He's saying that death is not going to be the final result. This illness does not lead to death. Here's why I'm doing this. It is for what? Look at verse four. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He says at a later point that the reason that he's done this in verse 41 and 42 is so that people may believe that Jesus has been sent by God. There's the two purposes that I just pulled out for you and plopped them down in a truth. Okay? Here's the reality. Jesus doesn't always work in the way we expect, but in all things, in his love for us, he purposes in our lives that we might grow to know God's glory more. In other words, he would give him more of himself and that our faith might increase. Y'all tracking with me? Everybody seeing these truths in the word? Now, I don't want to spend too long on this because there are four other really wonderful truths. But as Warren Wearsby, who I love to read, Warren Wearsby, he's so great. um, I was so jealous. Chris, our partner from India, got to go meet him just a few years ago. I used to be at a, anyway, so I'm about to get into story time. I'm not going to do that. But when I was little, Warren Wiersbe was at a summer camp that I attended every year and I got to eat dinner with him almost every night for one week every summer. He's just a dear man. But one of the things that he says that I just love, he says God's love for his own is not a pampering love but a perfecting love. God's love for his own is not a pampering love. It is a perfecting love. We must not think that love and suffering are incompatible. Sometimes we define what it feels like to be loved by what makes us feel the best, by what we want, by getting our own way, by just doing what's best for us. Tim Keller last week at the Downline Summit express beautifully a lot of what this culture is beginning to say to us over and over is that, you know, what it looks like to love me is you let me be me. I get to define, I get to decide, I get to choose, and I'm going to push that out on everybody, and everybody needs to submit to me. That's increasingly the way our secular culture is going. Those are the the things that are coming at us left and right. And and that's how we like to, to define love is just other people doing what's best for us. But that's not how God defines love. Biblical love, God love, love that we are called to with one another is doing everything necessary, what is best for the other to make sure that another is completely satisfied in God and God alone. That is loving. To give you more of God And whatever it takes to get you in a place where you have more of God, where you can see and savor and treasure and trust him more, that is loving for God to do. That's love. God is a sovereign God and he loves us. Do y'all believe that? But sometimes his love for us means that we go through things that when we're looking at it, we're like, I don't get this. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I wanted. This is hard. This is dangerous. This is difficult. This is suffering. But the reality is, we, there's no, Jesus does not make a guarantee that we will be sheltered from the problems of this world. And any other gospel that is preached to you otherwise is just not the true gospel. Jesus gives us himself And that's what he promises us in his love. Nothing else is promised. Some of us go high and some of us go low and sometimes it feels like a seesaw, right? But the reality is you've got to know, think about Martha and Mary. When you're in a place of discouragement, depression, even in the face of death or the death of someone you love, and there are more questions than you have answers, you have to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are my life and you are my sovereign life. And though right now I don't understand, think about Martha and Mary. Why didn't you come, Jesus? Four days they're left with questions, feeling like, you know, Jesus did not meet my expectations. But in the end, they're gonna see that Jesus has purposed good. And one of the things that we have to hold on to hope to is to recognize that one day at our resurrection, we will all see how in our four days of waiting in the midst of sorrow and difficulty and suffering, that Jesus has not forgotten us. He has not abandoned us. He has not let go of us. He is sovereignly working in his love for our good y'all believe that? So in our waiting, let's hold on to hope because Jesus is saying, I'm doing this on purpose, which means that in, in some way, in some way, that there, it is more loving to put Lazarus to death and to put Mary and Martha through grief. In some way, it is more loving Because through that, they are going to grow deeper in relationship and love and adoration and intimacy with Jesus. And they're going to grow deeper in trust. Do you see? Jesus is our sovereign, our sovereign life. And he does all things in love. Though he works in unexpected ways, he does all things in love and purposes that we might grow in relationship with him and grow in our faith. Amen? Amen? Number two, everybody take a breath. we just got through one of five. I don't know what time it is. My watch stopped working this morning. I said, thank you, Lord. I literally, this morning, I looked at it, I was like, wow, it's been that time for a long time. That's what you got this morning. Hope you ate a big breakfast. Because the word is good, rich, better than food. Jesus said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the (laughs) man, some of y'all are getting worried. It's legitimate, okay? If you're new, it's legitimate. Um, Number two, Jesus not only is our sovereign life, but he is our resurrection life. Oh, praise the name of Jesus. He is our resurrection life. Let me give you the true statement that I've written to go with this. Not only does Jesus purpose and provide, excuse me, promise a resurrection life, but he himself is our resurrection and life. Come on, this is good. Not only does Jesus purpose and promise resurrection and life, but he himself is our resurrection and life. Don't you love Jesus? He is the best. As we continue on in the passage, Martha, who is anxious and busy about many things. Y'all know Martha, right? Same Martha from the story that we're very familiar with. She's running out of the house. She's anxious. She's probably waiting, but she's overcome with sadness because her dear brother has died. This is a very tender, difficult moment in Martha's life, and she rushes out to meet Jesus, and Lord, she says in verse 21, if you had been there, my brother would not have died, but even I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. In other words, Jesus, please ask that you come back to life, and that's what she's saying. She's saying it in a very gentle way, Martha and Mary both always seeming to, to just submit themselves to the Savior, Oh, for more of us that are like that. I know whatever you say it will happen. And Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Now, interestingly, Martha in verse 24, she says back to him, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's, she's quick to affirm her, her faith in Jesus Christ, but she interprets Jesus' words, your brother will rise again. As you know what, Martha, I'm so sorry he's dead, but there's gonna come a day sometime in the future at the final judgment when he will rise. Martha's thinking final resurrection. And interestingly, in the way that Jesus responds to her, He completely, in this one moment, guys, don't miss this moment. He completely transforms what we know and believe. The doctrine of the resurrection blossoms, like Joanna said last night, Americans love to say. It just blossoms like a flower this beautiful transforming truth comes alive and is, com- is completely different in this moment as he speaks to-, to Martha Mary, different than anyone has ever understood or known. Jesus right here gives us insight as to what God is doing. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Three things that Jesus is saying here. See, I added three to the five, but I would have had eight, and that would have scared you, so I just put it as a subpoint. <laughs> and don't get scared they're quick. Three things that Jesus is saying here. To begin with, Jesus is taking the the reality, the truth of the resurrection out of the kind of mystical shadows of the Old Testament and he's bringing clarity to it. He's shining light on it. He's confirming it. In other words, Jesus is saying... You know, in the Old Testament, if you read like Psalms and Ecclesiastes, there's talk of life after death, but sometimes there's talk as if like maybe death is the end, and there's no hope beyond the grave, and they just rest in the grave, and there's this kind of uncertainty, and Daniel chapter 12 speaks of it, but it's kind of like what's going on, and Martha obviously is believing that something's going to go on, but Jesus just brings clarity in this moment, like a light piercing the darkness, and he goes, you know what? Death is real, number one. It is appointed for men to die once and then to face judgment. There is no reincarnation. There is death. We will die unless you are alive when Jesus comes back, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, but death is real. Number two, there is a life after death. Not here in this world, but your soul will live on into eternity. And number three, for those who trust in Christ, the body, your physical body, will one day be raised by the power of God. He's just bringing it out into the light. Death is real. There is a life after death. And for those who trust in Christ, and even those who don't, there is a final resurrection. Those who trust in Christ will go to be with God, and those who do not will, will be separated and sent apart from God in hell. And Jesus just confirms that th- this, is, this is so. So he's, he's confirming that there is a final resurrection, but but. But secondly, he's transforming something because in this moment, he wants Martha to realize that he's not, he wasn't talking about the final resurrection. He was talking about something right here in this situation. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The second thing that happens here is that Jesus takes the doctrine of the resurrection out of a, out of a book and he brings it to a person. I <laughs> oh, love this. Lest you think different, we are not saved by doctrines that are written in the Bible. We are saved by our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The truths in the Bible all point to a person and his name is Jesus. Someone said once, when you're sick, you want a doctor. You don't want no medical book or formula. When you're being sued, you want a lawyer. I don't want Wikipedia for law, or even the best law book. You want a lawyer. Likewise, when we face the last enemy of death, you want a savior, not a doctrine written in a book. First Corinthians chapter one verse 30 makes it clear that in Jesus Christ, every doctrine is made personal. It's all made personal. And third, the way that Jesus transforms it is he takes this idea of resurrection out of the future and he brings it into the present. I am the resurrection and the life. You want to know what it looks like to experience resurrection and life? Come to me and, and do it right now. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet she, he shall live, but whoever lives and believes in me shall never die Do you believe this? In other words, what Jesus is saying is you don't have to wait for some future day to experience resurrection power in your life, power that brings life from the dead. You don't have to wait for some future day to enjoy fellowship with God. You don't have to wait for some future day to enjoy life to the full as God originally intended it to be. Friends, you can experience resurrection in life right here and right now through the person of Jesus Christ. What good news for us and he looks at Martha and he looks at you and he says, do you believe this? I mean, really. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Are you experiencing it? I am the resurrection of life. Our response should be that of Martha. She said to him, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I believe I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Number three. Everybody breathe? Okay. Number three. Not only is Jesus our sovereign life, not only is he our resurrection life, but number three, he offers us sympathetic life. I won't spend too much time on this, but I do want to hit on this because I think it is beautiful and very important. The true statement that goes with this is this. Jesus' power for resurrection life makes him more, not less. Makes him more, not less sympathetic and sensitive to us when we face sadness and death. Jesus' resurrection life makes him more, not less sympathetic and sensitive to us when we face sadness and death. The attention turns from Martha to Mary. And as Jesus approaches the village and has this interaction with Martha, it's evident that Martha sends people to Mary and they say, The teacher is here and calling for you, verse 28. And in verse 29, it's interesting. Mary, in all three places in the Gospels, you find Mary, she's always sitting down, she's always sitting at Jesus' feet. We need more Marys today. People who just love to sit in the presence of Jesus at his feet. She rushes out. She takes people with her. They think they're, that she's going to the grave, but she's actually going to make her way to Jesus. And, and obviously, some of these people that are with her don't believe because later we find out they, they come to believe. But she gets to Mary, and obviously, she and her sister have been talking about this because she says the exact same thing that Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, this, my brother uh, would not have died in verse 32. In verse 33, Jesus sees her weeping. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. And one of the things that just blows me away about Jesus, look at this. It says that he was deeply moved in his spirit. In the original language, it's from the depth of his soul. He was moved in his spirit. And he was greatly troubled. They said to him, Lord, come and see and in verse 35, we have the shortest, but probably one of the deepest and most profound verses in the Bible when it says, Jesus, Jesus wept. Verse 38, we read that Jesus is deeply moved again. Lest you think that. God is somehow just way up here in his, his sovereignty and his resurrection power and he's just like divinely orchestrating all things and yes, he is, but friends, he's also God in flesh who dwelt among us, who made himself real and known and personal to us, who knows our sorrows, familiar with weakness. I'm so thankful that we get a glimpse of how Jesus relates to us in our time of of sadness, our time of suffering, our time of loss, for he comes alongside of us and he doesn't immediately just correct Mary and say, oh, you're so foolish. I was uh, in my sovereignty, I've already purposed this. And he, he just doesn't respond to Mary with insensitivity. He doesn't respond with disdain. He doesn't respond with superiority. He comes alongside of her and he just cries. And he just he just weeps. He moans, it says in his spirit. He's deeply moved. And he just cries. And I don't know how long it lasts. But imagine, imagine, God, who never intended for there to be sin, who never intended for there for there to be this rupture in human relationship. For death is a consequence of sin. Imagine God in the midst of broken. Humanity broken, world marred by sin. Imagine in this moment, not only is he weeping because of the sadness of losing a close friend and the sadness of others' grief, which by the way tells us that when you cry over things that are sad, that's not sin or lack of faith. There are sometimes that things are just sad, and it's okay to cry. When things aren't right, we just need to say they're not right. And sometimes that just makes us sad. That's not a lack of faith, it's just being human. <laughs> and it's being like God, because here God, in human form, cries. But not only is he so sad because of the loss of his friend, but he is he's overwhelmed by the effect of what sin has done in the world. And friends, let me tell you why this is encouraging, and then I'm going to move on from this. This is encouraging because you and I face... Weakness and sadness and death in our life, do we not? And in those moments, you need to remember what Hebrews 4 teaches us, that we have a great and merciful high priest. He is sympathetic to our weakness. He has been, he's suffered, he's been tempted in every way, yet without sin. And he stands ready and present with you not distant from you, but with you, to give you grace and help in your time of need. I'm so thankful for the grace and help of Jesus. I'm so thankful that Jesus walks with us. He carries our sorrows. He's well acquainted with grief. I'm so thankful that when he approaches us and we're crying, he joins us and cries with us. I'm so thankful for such a wonderful and merciful Savior. And his resurrection power does not prohibit this and actually strengthens this because he can feel the weight of that sorrow, being creator God, knowing how far things have gone, knowing the depth more than any other, he can carry the weight of that with you better than anyone else in your life, amen? See. His resurrection power and his promise that's coming makes him even more able, not less. Number four, number four. Not only do we have his sovereign life, not only do we have his resurrection life, his sympathetic life, but number four, we see Jesus's overcoming life. Can y'all say that with me? Overcoming life. True statement that goes with this one is this. By demonstrating power over death, itself, man's last enemy, Jesus proves that he is the Messiah. By demonstrating power over death itself, Jesus proves that he is the Messiah. He's the Christ. John is very concerned with this throughout his book. Some of us already believe that Jesus is the Christ. Other of us might be still wondering. We might be asking the question, how can I really believe that Jesus is God? There's a lot of people who have said they're God. There's a lot of religions that know the way. And how can I really believe? And John is concerned to help you. And also friends, those of us who already know that he's the Christ, we need to be thinking apologetically about how to use these proofs to help other people believe that he is the Christ. And John includes this as the seventh miracle. It is not his last miracle. It's the seventh miracle. I believe it's placed as a seventh because seven in the Jewish culture is that sign of pinnacle. It's the sign of completion. It's not his last, but I do believe it is his greatest. There's several reasons why. We could talk about that later if you're interested. But the main one is this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, Paul says, if in this life all we have is hope in Christ, but we don't have anything after, then we are the men most of all to be pitied. In other words, if Jesus can do nothing about death, then whatever else he does amounts to nothing. If Jesus cannot do anything about death, then everything else he does amounts to Nothing. Death is man's last enemy. It comes, the power of it comes from sin, but the consequence of sin, Romans 6.23, or 3.23 says, is death, is death. The wages of sin is death in 6.23. It's a consequence of sin, but death is real. And friends, if Jesus cannot do anything about your death, then you and I, all we have is this life. And what good is suffering for Christ who can't overcome death, right? So this is a big, big deal. But how beautiful that Jesus approaches the cave with a stone laid against it and says, take away the stone. Martha, who just had faith, suddenly goes, I don't have faith, that's gonna stink. Don't do that. Not a good idea for you or anybody here. I don't wanna relive this Jesus. And he says, Take away the stone. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? In other words, did I not tell you that there's a reason that I've waited? I want you, I'm gonna give myself to you tomorrow to increase your faith. Father, Jesus says, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me. I'm praying this out loud so that people know that you be- and believe that you've sent me. And then he stands at the cave. And with a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come out. And out from that cave came a man who had been dead four days. He was so wrapped up in linens that he couldn't even unbind himself. You tell me how a dead man gets out of a cave like that. I'll tell you, I don't have a clue except by the power of God. By the grace of God from start to finish, isn't it similar to us, from start to finish, there ain't nothing that Lazarus has done to raise himself out of that grave. He can't even get the, the strips of cloth off of him. But God, supernaturally, powerfully, raises him from the grave in the presence of many people, both believing and unbelieving, to the point that rumors spread all throughout the country to the point. in the second, we're going to see that the, the, the Jewish councils figuring out, what do we do about this? This is a sure sign. Normal people don't speak to dead people and raise them to life, but God in the flesh does to demonstrate to us that he is who he says he is. He is the Christ. Lazarus, come out. One old, old preacher who you wouldn't know said if he had not spoken Lazarus' name, all the bodies in that tomb would have come out because that is the power of Jesus. Jesus. And there's going to come a day when we see that power speak like a voice in the night and all people are going to rise. This is the power of Jesus. And as John Caleb so beautifully said last night, we've got to understand that the gospel message is not that Jesus has come to make bad men good. He's come to make dead men alive. The gospel is not that Jesus has come to make bad men good, but to make dead men alive. And this is the power of Jesus. He raises Lazarus. And friends, for all who believe in Jesus, this is the power that he can work in you. As John Caleb so beautifully said last night, I'm just stealing your illustration because it was awesome. I was like, did he know I was preaching John 11 today? I don't even know that he did. But if he did, it was perfect because it teed me up. But he said, Jesus stands at any dead place in our hearts and lives, and he speaks, Lazarus, come out. He speaks with a resurrection power. And if you believe Jesus, I'm telling you, friends, he has the power to make you alive in any part of your heart and life, and for all who believe, this is the entrance into relationship with God, to recognize that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, can and will make us alive as you believe in him. And friends, it is nothing of what we do. Nothing. By grace, you have been saved. It is not of yourself, but a gift from God. Did Lazarus do anything? Heck no, he didn't. The sovereign mercy of God brought him to life. And if any of us are going to have hope, we got to live dependent on the Lord, praying that by his sovereign mercy and grace, he might bring us to life. Thank you, Jesus, for your overcoming life. Number five, are y'all ready for this? Y'all are ready because it's just the end. I'm just playing. I, I, listen, I would, I would stand here and teach all day if y'all would let me. I can't do that. But I love the word. And it's just a feast for our souls. And I just b- pray that you love the word and get in the word and get in small groups this week. I would talk for hours. You won't, you won't let me. <laughs> you might, but I, it would be a really small crowd. <laughs> Number five, substitutionary life. Not only is he a sovereign life, not only is he resurrection life, not only is he sympathetic life, not only is he overcoming life, but fifth, he offers substitutionary life. Let me give you the truth statement that goes with this one. The reason that Jesus can provide life to us is because he gave his own life for us. Friends, we've been proclaiming all day that Jesus is life and he can give life to all who believe in him. But let me tell you that this life is a free gift to you, but it costs Jesus everything to give. Let's never grow tired of hearing the gospel of the grace of God afforded to us by the sufferings of Jesus. As he calls Lazarus out, Lazarus becomes a witness, a living testimony to God's grace and and resurrection power. And the word begins to get out so much that the Jewish council get together, the Jews therefore get together, verse 45. And they say, what are we gonna do? Holy smokes, have you seen this Jesus guy? People are following him now. Their whole strategy now, they're not trying to find truth. They're just trying to defend themselves. They've stopped trying to figure out this. They've closed their heart. Be careful not to do this in your life. Don't close your heart to Jesus. They've closed their heart. There's no room anymore for them to actually believe that he is who he says he is. Forget the resurrection thing. They're not trying to go, how can he do that? They're just going, how can we we protect our self-interest? And they meet, it's like the Jewish Supreme Court, and they get together, and what they're saying is, if we let him continue, it's going to lead to Zionist rebellion, and the Romans are surely going to come in and crush it. They're going to take away our power. Heaven forbid we let go of our power. They're going to take away our power and our whole nation. What do we do? And Caiaphas steps forward, and interestingly, not by his own, it says here in the Bible, It says, verse 31, he did not say this of his own, 51, excuse me, of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, not only for the nation only, but able to gather the children of God who are scattered abroad. God, it's God's idea, put into Caiaphas' head and out comes from his mouth, hey, let's kill him. It'd be better for him to die. Let's get rid of him than for us to lose the whole nation in our power. But Caiaphas had no idea that what he was doing was carrying out the sovereign plan of God. Even in men's sinfulness, God is sovereign. And he is moving Jesus toward the cross because the only way for you and me to have this life that Jesus has promised to give is for Jesus to give his life for us. And it says here in the Bible, friends, you mark it, verse 53. We're gonna be here the rest of the spring. We're moving toward the cross, 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus begins to walk, not openly, he moves to Ephraim. We're gonna begin to see as they move into this feast of the Passover. But friends, you know how in the beginning the disciples said, Why are you going back to Jerusalem? They're trying to kill you. Jesus said, I'm not worried. I'm walking in the will of my Father. And yes, they're trying to kill me. And that's the reason that he's going. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. And why? Why? So that in our sorrows, he can use his sovereignty and his love to give us more of himself and to grow our trust. Why? So that in the face of suffering, horror and death even, he can say, like he said to Martha, I'm the resurrection of life. If you believe in me, you won't die. Why is he going to the cross? So that he can sit and sympathize with us and cry with us when we are at a point of desperation and he can offer us the grace and help in our time of need. Why? So that he can speak life into every dead place in our hearts and lives, into every place in the world, and say, Lazarus, come out. He can make the dead alive, and he can promise you that in the end, God will restore all things to the way he intended it to be. All of this promise and presence and power for life comes because Jesus is willing to move to the cross to give his own life for us. And yes, by the death of one man will come the good of many people, even people scattered all throughout the world, all who believe, amen. As we close this morning, I just wanna pray and I wanna invite you into prayer. We have heard this morning that Jesus is our life. Oh, he's our life. And I pray today that you know that he is our life. Friends, if you are here today, and you have heard God speak to you, oh, just say yes to him. Surrender your hearts to him. Surrender your hearts to him. Say thank you to him. If you're here this morning and you are dead in trespass and sin and you've never experienced this newness of life, oh, I just invite you to believe on Jesus. It is all by grace. It's not by what you've done, but by Jesus and what he can do, what he's willing to do by his power, his love for you. Just believe on Jesus. Like Lazarus, let him make you alive. There are many of us today who are in the middle of circumstances that we feel like, where is Jesus? And we just need the reminder that Jesus is. he loves you and he's working for you. Right now, you may not understand, but in the end, you're going to see. You're going to see it's good. And right now, what God wants more than anything in your life is for you to grow, to love and trust him more. Maybe you just need to give over your circumstance right now and just say, Jesus, I, I just need to grow. I need to grow in you and I need to trust in you as I wait, as I wait to see what you're doing. Maybe others are just needing hope for this life hope for the life to come and you just need to remember Jesus' words he himself is our resurrection and life believe in you and you will not die and even as you live you will have life to the full maybe you're in the midst of sadness and sorrow and you just need to remember and call upon Jesus to cry with you to carry your burdens he's near he can give grace and help all of us need to look away from ourselves into the cross today look to the cross and remember that this really is possible. And the reason it's possible is because Jesus gave his life for you. By his death, we have life. Let's thank Jesus today. I'm here if you need me. Prayer counselors in the back, up front, come and pray with us. Nothing too small, nothing too big. If you want to talk or pray, you just do that. This is our time to respond to God.